Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, calls us to specifically love our neighbor, but the reality is we all kind of know that sentiment that Jesus is referring to here, that love your neighbor but hate your enemy. I mean, in essence, we would all, or most all of us would probably agree that that pretty much comes hardwired. Like, we might say, so to speak, hey, I'll scratch your back if you what? If you scratch mine, right? I got your back as long as you got mine. You're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You're good to me, I'll be good to you, but... Listen, you cross me, and that's where we're going to have problems. And so we're kind of just maybe coming to this default course in life. That's kind of the way of the world. Hey, love, love those that are good to you, but if somebody messes with you, then, man, chuck them out the door, right? Cross them off the list. They're now your enemy. Jesus is going to tell us today, that's not the way to be with my followers. My people, this new community that's coming, and, and listen, you hear that in Matthew 5 through 7, this sermon on the mount, as Jesus goes up on the mountainside, and he's preaching through this text. Right As we hear this text here of Jesus' words, we realize that there's a new community, a new group of believers forming. Again, now listen, when it comes here, the statement, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, that part of the hate your enemy wasn't even a part of the Old Testament law. This was just how it was being applied, right? And, and so we would say today, or as we come to this text, the big idea for Jesus is laying before us. This is verse 44, Matthew 5. Listen to it. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Hear the difference? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. It's a transformation. This new community, again, that's coming. It's just a transformation that's happening here. And so, listen, some of you, you hear this text and you see it on the screen and you're already saying like, dude, I know that text. Like, I'm checking out. This is all it's going to be, then I'm out. And I want to just pause. I want you to pump the brakes on that for a moment. I want to share with you just briefly why reason why I want you to pump the brakes. I've been reading a, a, a book here recently. It's entitled Meditations on Preaching. Uh, it's about an African-American pastor. He was born there in 1850. He was a, born as a slave there in South Carolina, in Ch- Charleston, South Carolina. He becomes known as the Reverend Dr. Francis James Grimke. And he says in his books, this Meditations on Preaching, writing to preachers, he says these words, In order to preach effectively, the sermon should grow not out of the head, but out of the heart. The truth presented should be first realized in the preacher's own experience. A sense of reality and importance should first be felt with his own soul. The reason why I share that is is because when I come to this text today and this call to love your enemies, I'll be honest with you, i got some struggles the Lord's been dealing with me. I, I, I've got someone that's, that, that's hurt someone that I love and care about in my family. And I, I'm just being honest with you today. I, I'm just struggling with bitterness. Struggling at times, just feeling like, God, I wish you would get revenge. Like sometimes I just want to like take vengeance myself. And so when I hear those words again about the preacher must preach from the heart, about from his own experience, I realize that I'm struggling to allow this text. Now listen, you and I know the text. You can quote it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. We can say it. But I want today's text to land on you and my soul that we might live this truth. That's where it's hard. It's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. It's a challenge. And I'll just be honest with you. I'm struggling. 
in my heart crying out, God, by the power of your spirit, will you empower me to love this person? Will you empower me, Lord, to truly want to pray for them and to care for them? So maybe you're struggling like me. I want to invite you just to come and journey and say, God, would you transform me? Would you transform me by your text, by the word, by the power of the spirit? You remember Jesus began this section here in Matthew 5 and verse 20. And he says this powerful statement. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus went on. He gave us five examples so far. Today we come to the sixth of what he was calling us to do, of what it looks like for our righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And we've seen so much. It's not just only outward, although it is that. It's also the inward of the heart. And so Jesus now begins a sixth example of what it looks like for that righteousness to take place. So today I want to set maybe a little bit of a roadmap for you and I. And maybe just four primary ideas I hope to get across. Number one is this. It's this question here. Can we love well enough to earn our way into heaven? That's the first question. The second thing I want to deal with today is, is exactly who is our enemy? If Jesus writes, love your enemy, like who is my enemy? Third, I want to maybe just deal with this, this, this idea of what does that kind of love actually look like? And then fourth, I want to maybe just close with two challenges of why you and I should be compelled to obey and submit to this text. But I want to deal with first, this first question. Can we love well enough to qualify ourselves or to earn our way into heaven? You say, Blake, why, why are you even saying that? Like, what makes you think that from this text? Look at if you would, again, back verse 44 of Matthew chapter 5. But I say to you, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Look at this. So that, look at this, so that, so let's just slow it down here. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now again, slow it down just for a moment. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You may be. That, that's how the New American Standard translates this. That's how the New King James translates this. That's how the Christian Standard translates this. That's how the ESV translates this. The Net Bible says this way. It says it this way. So that you may be like your Father who is in heaven. The New Living Translation indicates it this way. It says, so that you will be acting as true children. Listen, I share these verses. Why? Because we know that we need to know that we are loving our enemies and praying for them to earn ourselves. Or listen, as we need to know, are we actually loving our enemies and praying for them so that we can earn our salvation? Because again, that's what it, look at this statement. Because he says, or so that. You may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So the question is, is that I, do I need to love my enemies and well enough and pray for them hard enough to qualify or to earn myself or earn my way into heaven? Right? And so listen, the, the one thing I don't want to do is jumping into this. It's just immediately you and I say, well, of course, that's not how we get into heaven. We know it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And just like, man, just dismiss what Jesus is saying. I think we need to let the weight of this collide with us for a moment. To feel this. To ask this question, right, again, can we love well enough to earn our way into heaven? And you, you may be like one of the boys at my house. I was preaching through the message, and he heard me ask that question. He says this. He says, no, that's a dumb kind of question. 
Right? He says, we already know the answer. It's only that Jesus can get us into heaven. And listen, I'm with you, Josiah, you're right. But I want to see how does the text actually prove that? So if you would, just for a moment, let's look here in Jesus' sermon to say, how does someone actually become a child of God? And I think the text answers for us that Jesus isn't saying that we can love well enough to earn our way into heaven. And I want to show it to you from the text. Back in Matthew 5, verse 3, as we began our time here in Matthew 5, we we made that statement that Matthew 5 and 3 was really going to be foundational for us as we move through the rest of chapter 5, chapter 6, and into chapter 7. Because it sets the course to let us know that the reality is none of us are good enough to get in by ourselves and to qualify to be a part of God's kingdom. I don't know if how clear I was there. It's kind of wordy. But nonetheless, listen, i just read the text, man. Just Sometimes you just got to, right? You just ever have moments like you try to share, dude? I just want to encourage you. Listen again. We don't always all get it right. We don't always say it so smooth. We don't always come across like butter. But, man, if you will just do your best and just step back and let the word do the work. Even as preachers, listen. You've got to step back. Just let the Word do the work. Trust the Word, the power of the Spirit. See what he says in Matthew 5 and 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So why are the poor in spirit? Why are they blessed? For, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we just talked there early on. Listen, as we were walking through, the reality is the way to enter God's kingdom is to become poor in spirit, to realize that you don't qualify for God's kingdom. You're not good enough. The poor in spirit realizes we're spiritually bankrupt. We don't have anything that God says, oh, okay, now I want Blake on my team. Listen, all of us spiritually, we have nothing to pay or to offer to God. And listen, God delights in showing grace and mercy and saving those who can never save themselves. It brings all glory to Christ, the glory to God alone for you are my salvation. But look what else went with me. Not only that, listen, so I think that one, number one there, that shows us that what Jesus is talking about here is that we can't earn our salvation by loving well enough. Why? Because we're poor in spirit. That's how we enter in. But look further with me, Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So a couple things. Notice one, he, he calls, speaking here to the disciples and those on the hill, he says, your Father. He doesn't say that he might become your father. He may be your father. He says he already is your father. Secondly, look what he says again there. In the same way, let your light shine. He doesn't say make your light shine. It's it's just something. This is happening. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in you. And third, kind of building on that let your light shine. Look what he says. Before others, so that. Notice what happens here. So that they may see your good works and give glory to to who? Father. Like if it said that they may see your good works and give glory to you, then maybe like you've earned it. But the reality is, listen, beloved, as we come to this text and people see you loving your spouse differently. People see you respecting government officials and others that you may disagree or not like or other political parties. When they see you showing self-control at the ballpark and Lord willing, we'll return back there someday. And they see you loving different at your job. As they see those good works, they're going to know there's something different about you. And that glory, listen, as God's light shines through you, the glory is the God because ultimately He is at work in you, transforming you. It's a transformational work. So listen, guys, I hope from the text 
just briefly there, it shows and it's convincing to you that there's no way, as Jesus says here in Matthew 5 and 44, right again, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You're not seeing that and thinking, well, I've got to love better. I've got to pray. Yeah, we do. We absolutely do. But it's not because we're trying to earn our salvation. So you say, well, well Blake, what do you think he's saying then? I think this, I wrote this statement. Therefore, your loving of your enemies shows or gives evidence that you are truly a child of God. Your loving of your enemies shows or gives evidence that you are truly a child of God. So again, loving your enemy reveals who's truly your father, right? I mean, it just, it just shows who's your daddy, right? It shows who your heavenly father is, whether he's truly your father or not by the way that you love. But we need to ask, secondly, maybe another question is this, like, who's my enemy? Right? Like, I mean, what's Jesus say when he says, love your enemies? Like, who is my enemy? And so let's just look just briefly at the text for a moment and try to answer that question. Look what he says here again, back in verse 43. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The word neighbor indicates just a near one, right? That's kind of what the word's indicating. Someone that's come near to you, somebody that's come close to you. I mean, you might think about the story in Luke chapter 10, right, where Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan and, and this person that was left there dead, right, and the Good Samaritan comes along and helps him. And, and Jesus is showing us who's our neighbor. Well, our neighbor is the person that's nearest to us, the person that we next meet that's in need of God's love and God's mercy and grace, right? We, we realize that, listen, that person that we're called may be someone, again, who, who's a different religious, from a li- different religious group. Maybe they're different racially or ethnically, Right? Maybe they're even different politically than us, and they might even be our enemies because of those things, because of the sin that's in our hearts. But we realize that that person is called, and that person is our neighbor. The word hate indicates a strong dislike or even a desire to get even. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing there's probably been points in your life where you've wanted to get even. Right, some of us are probably more physical and verbal, and so because of that, right, you, you probably at some point, maybe in your past, you, you had some type of squabble, right, some kind of fisticuffs with a brother or sister or cousin, somebody, right? Some of you, again, you're just still more verbal, and so even now, like when it comes to your spouse or somebody else that crosses you, man, you just kind of like, it just pours out. Others of you, you, you're probably a little bit more maybe might define as passive-aggressive, right? I mean, when things go bad for you, man, you just shut that baby down. Yeah cold shoulder so to speak right that's that's again you you may be some hybrid of the two or maybe a little bit different but the reality is we all struggle to love our neighbors we all know what this text indicates when it says hate your enemy why because that just becomes part of our dna like we don't have to like try to do that that just becomes who we are we all struggle with that so listen but look what jesus says again in verse 44 but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you now the word enemy here it indicates someone that we despise or maybe we're at odds with and the reality is from the text and and you know it from life experience that hatred that we have of enemies can either be like expressed like openly but often man we hide it don't we we conceal it It, we appear good christian folks on the outside but inwardly man we're raging against people now, the first type of enemy, look at what he says here. Again, I think he just kind of starts to show us a little bit of this. The first type of enemy are those who persecute us. 
It's those who have like purpose to actually harmful like intentions for us. They oppose you. They may even try to physically harm you. Right here, here's a couple of those from the Voice of the Martyrs. Right, the headline is Islamist murder two church leaders. Um, I'm trying to do my best to pronounce his name, but Lanco Ande um, um, by Niger. Right, so he's there close to Niger, and what happens is is the Islamic extremists come in and they murder this church, this pastor, right in front of his wife and his family. Or, or maybe here in, in Laos, Sarai, she's there, I don't know if you see her in the picture, but she's there with her, her baby. She becomes a follower of Christ and, and the man that she's married to and they're living with his family according to the story. And once they become Christians, they're kicked out with no place to live. In fact, she was even beaten. Why? Because they became a Christian. So when we hear the word persecute, right, there's different levels of persecution. There are physical acts of hatred. And the question has to become, can we truly love people like this? Can you love somebody that killed your dad? Could you love somebody that killed your husband? Could you love people that killed your pastor? Can you love somebody like in a family that maybe has beaten you or abused you? Jesus is calling us from this text to love people like that. That's a radical love. That's a love this world does not know. That's a new creation kind of love. That's a spirit-filled love that you and I, listen, we only receive that. We can't create that on our own. It's the love of God that's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us, Romans chapter 5. So again, we'll... Maybe what about those who intend to harm against you? Maybe it's not that severe, but maybe it's people that have taken legal action or attending legal action against you. Maybe it's somebody that's trying to blackmail you right now, or maybe it's somebody that's trying to intimidate you or threaten you in some way. Love those people? Is that even possible? But Jesus says that kind of love and praying for those people, the persecutors, that's what marks my followers. Listen, guys, remember this. God doesn't command anything He won't supply by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, Christ isn't commanding us to do something that He will not supply the power to do so by the Holy Spirit who indwells you. But listen, it's not only in big ways. Listen, there's other, other ways that maybe are less extreme. Look what He says further, verse 45. Again, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the, guess what it says here? the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust evil and unjust these are like lawbreakers these are people that are in rebellion against god and his ways in fact a similar passage in luke chapter 6 verse 35 indicates that there's people that are ungrateful some of you listen you may just maybe know somebody that's constantly in rebellion against you it may be a child a small child it may be a wayward older child in your household Maybe it's an ungrateful spouse, right? That's just never, ever appreciative. It doesn't matter how hard you work or what you do. Like, they're just never, ever appreciative. Like, it's never, ever good enough. Maybe it's just an unjust employee that works for you. Or maybe as the employee, your employer just seems to keep taking advantage of you. They just just keep setting up the bar. And they they give more hours, more expectations. And they don't just change any pay. They don't consider your family, right? I mean, there are just different ways in which this, this injustice seems to land on you. Maybe it's some individuals in the government that seem to take advantage of their position and, or they write laws that oppose our values. And Jesus says, guys, look again at the text. 
4, God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain, the just and the unjust. I mean, let's be honest. God is, he's saying that God is so merciful and gracious. It's, it's some, right, uh, Calvin and others began to use this terminology, common grace. That God's common grace to humanity. Listen, I, you may have been there and you wonder, like, well, why is that guy's farm and his crops growing, right? Why does his hay seem so, why does his tobacco feel right? Like, why does, like, what, what they have, it, it just seems like they just keep getting better. And God, I, I'm the person going to church, God, I'm... Right, I mean, you may have been there. Like, you, you wonder, like, why does that person, like, God keeps seem like showing favor. That Their kid keeps advancing. And my kid, God, I'm trying to live for you and honor you. And it just, just doesn't seem fair. And Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to know that God makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Look further with me again. He just describes who, again, might be our enemies. For if you love those who love you. So now we have this. What reward do you have? He says, do not even the tax collectors do the same. So again, it's a statement of an enemy might be somebody that doesn't love you. Some folks just don't like you for various reasons. And this is, I'm just going to be honest with you. What's easy for me to do is if you don't like me, I may not like you. I don't know if you struggle with that, but that's something I'm just hard. Like, I just feel like, man, I don't. I don't understand why they don't like me or why they're holding this against me or why they, like, and just our tendency at times is just to say, well, if you don't like me, then I'm not going to like you. That's the way of the world. In fact, that's the way of the Hatfields and McCoys. I don't know if you know much about the story, but again, th- these families begin to go at war, and over the number of years, about 13 people die. There's confusion about what exactly started. It's possible it's because of the Civil War and the Hatfields were a part of the Confederates and the McCoys a part of the Unionist Army. But there's much evidence that this long-standing hatred and bloodbath actually began when one of the McCoys believed that a Hatfield stole his pig. Can you just think about that for a moment? Years of family hatred and murder and bitterness over a pig. And I share that because the reality is we need to ask, like, what pigs have divided us? All right, like, I mean, what, what ways have we allowed hogs to divide our relationships? Right, some of you were raised in families that said, we just don't like people of that color. Or maybe you were raised in a family that said, we don't like those people of that family because they did this to Papa or they did this to Grandma. And we're just divided against anybody that has that last name here in Greensburg, KY. We're divided with them. Right? I mean, for others of you in the midst of it, like you found the reality of being at home. Like, it's kind of challenging. And so you found yourself just at odds with spouses and kids, right, over just simple stuff like clothes being on the floor, the milk being left out, the cheese that's on the trampoline. I don't know what family this could be, just hypotheticals, right? These are all hypothetical, of course. But I'm guessing is these insignificant things, these pigs, these hogs, have caused great division between you and your spouse or you and your kiddos or you and a boss or other employees during this season maybe it's some simple pig so to speak that's wrecked you relationship with other people even in the church so we've kind of understood a little bit here of just who's my enemy and let's ask now or maybe just seek after this what is an enemy loving kind of love like what's that look like when he says love your enemies like what is that love look like i want to i want to know it i want to see it because i know i'm short i'm falling 
from this text. And so I need to hear it, right? Because he says, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. So, beloved, listen, let us not dismiss this text. Let us come in submission to it and say, God, what does this enemy-loving kind of love look like? First, it's a welcoming love. Look at me again back in the text. Verse 47, he says, And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? The word greet here, um, again, it, it indicates it's more than a hello. It's, it's concern for that person's welfare. It's desire to do them good. Maybe you find yourself, when you think about the church, only talking to certain kinds of people. Like when after service is over or when you see people coming forward, you want to greet those kind of people. But other people, when you see them, you're kind of distant from them. Maybe you find yourself walking past those people to get to your holy huddle, so to speak. I want to know, I want to challenge you as believers here, as we set apart maybe this time away, but as we look to come back together prayerfully soon, we hope. I want to ask you, who are you intentionally going to invite inside your group, your huddle, your ministry? The areas in which you serve. Who are you going to now bring inside to say, I want you to come and serve with me? What if each one of us thought about one other person we could bring alongside? And listen, others of you, listen again about the statement. If you greet only your brothers, like you just greet people you like. You invite people in that look like you, act like you, talk like you, people that don't cross you or go against you. Jesus says, what are you doing more than others? That's the way the world acts. That's not to be the way the church. I want to maybe just challenge you. Who's somebody right now that was on the inside with you or others in this church that's now on the outside? What will you do to go and greet and welcome and invite them back and invite them to come to the group with you? You show up showing that mercy and grace, inviting them back to be a part of that ministry, inviting them to come back to that Sunday school class, inviting them to come back and be a part of serving and working and worshiping with you and others. So it's a welcoming kind of love. That's this, this, this kind of love he's describing. Secondly, look, guys, it's a needs-meeting love. It, it just meets needs. Look what he says in verse 45. For he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It's interesting that Paul, when he speaks in Lystra in Acts chapter 14, he tells them that there's a living God, a creator of heaven and earth. And guess what he says about him? How we know that there's actually this kind of God. Look what he says in verse 17 of Acts 14. Yet he, speaking of God, yet God did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you, look what it says here, giving you rain. The very thing here he's saying, sends rain. Who's he giving the rain to? Well, guess what? It's people that don't love him, that don't follow him, that don't know God, that don't care about God. And he said, Paul says, I want you to know this God has revealed himself to you by sending you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Paul says God is doing good to people who don't know Him, people who don't acknowledge existence or worship Him. Listen, like during this season, our family, we've just been trying to be intentional to love on our neighbors, like from week to week, just checking in, trying to see if there's any practical needs we can meet, maybe taking some food here or there, just trying to find practical ways to love on them. But as I read this text, I had to ask, like, would that be any different than what a non-believer might be doing right now? Then I had to ask, right again, I'm just telling you, like, I, that, this, the book I've been reading about the preacher, like, having to ex- live the experience, right, I mean, of, of what he's preaching. I wanted to ask, like, God, who's my enemy? Like, who's somebody that maybe annoys me or I don't like? Or am I as willing to serve them? Have I checked on them? 
are, are you readily looking out for the good of the neighbor? Maybe like, I don't know about you, but maybe it's a neighbor that like mows and they mow grass and leave it on your driveway. Or they mow grass and they like leave it out in the road and like you have to drive through it when your car's clean and you're like, you jerk. Do you want to love that neighbor? Like Jesus says, listen, that's the love that God shows for us. He's loving on these, these Gentile people that don't even know him. He's been sinning, right? He's been so good for years. They haven't even acknowledged him. Do you love like that? That kind of love. Sorry, listen, it's a praying love. Look what he says again back in verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for our enemies. People who have done us wrong. Yeah, that's what we hear in Luke 23, verse 34. It's there that Jesus is on the cross. And from the cross, we hear Jesus saying these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. It's interesting from, from the, the text. It indicates that the tense being used is it might be that Jesus is not saying this just once, but this is something ongoing. You may find that when it comes to loving enemies and praying for those who persecute you and forgiving people that have done you wrong, you may seem like it gets really good for a moment, and then, man, it starts to rear its head again. You're like, I thought I was good with them. And like just at a moment, man, it flashes back. I want to compel you, beloved, that forgiveness isn't just a one-time thing. Just like repentance isn't just something we do when we get saved. Repentance and forgiveness is who we are. It's our DNA as believers. This kind of love is a praying love. And listen, you say, well, man, that was Jesus, and he's perfect. Of course he forgave those the first martyr of the church, it's Acts chapter 7, verse 60. And it's a man by the name of Stephen. And literally in the process of stoning him to death, throwing stones at him to kill him. And we hear him record, we hear the text record in verse 60 of Acts chapter 7, Stephen saying these words. Look what he says here. He falls on his knees and he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against that are killing him. He's following the example of the Savior, praying and asking God to forgive them. So listen, not only to greeting and welcoming our enemy, not only are we going to meet our enemy's physical needs and loving them in that way, but with our deepest desires and our earnest prayers, we are wanting what's best for our enemies, that they would be forgiven, that they would be reconciled to God, that they would not die and go to hell and be cast out of His presence forever. Beloved, that's the kind of love that is to mark the children, the sons and daughters of our Father who is in heaven. That's a different kind of love. It's a transforming love. I, I don't know about you, but listen, I, you, I don't know if you ever watched the Star, Star Wars before. I don't know if you've seen those moments, right, where, where they're in there's, these battles are just weighing epically, and all of a sudden the Empire seems to come in, and like they're just going to absolutely just overwhelm them. If you hear in those moments, they usually don't say, hey, guys, we just need to go faster. Could you just speed up? No, they usually say this. Prepare to jump to light speed. Why? Because when they go to light speed, it not only moves them faster, it takes them into another realm. Christ is saying, when you come to me and I give you a new heart, it takes you into another realm spiritually that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All glory be to Christ. 
Listen, guys, um, I, I want to close maybe today with just, just, just maybe two more reasons why you should love your enemy. Uh, we don't know if ball's going to happen or not, but we play quite a bit of wiffle ball out in the front yard. And um, shout out to Miss, Miss Linda, who often sees us um, coming by. We love you, Miss Linda. Um, but listen, we're sometimes out there playing ball. And the boys, man, there's yoking shots on me, taking shots, left field, right field, running the bases, right? Old dad, old ball-headed man out there running around chasing balls. But usually at some point, that noise from them gets enough. And so I, sometimes I bring out Alexa, and I tell old Alexa, hey, Alexa, put on dad's closing song. And Alexa fires it up, and I turn the cap around, and they know, man, like when I come out of that bullpen, it's on like Donkey Kong. There's no more like five strikes or seven strikes, Judah, you can't ever strike out. I'm like, dude, it's on, bro. And Daddy starts to throw smoke. I start to bring knuckle curves, right? And so why do I say that? Because I want you to know right here at the end, some of you, what you're hearing today seems impossible. I want to bring two more at you. Two more to wage war at the hard heart that's in you and me. Because I know how hard it is for me right now to love enemies. And I want to bring these just two more out of the bullpen from God's Word to wage war at the hardness of our hearts. So would you hear this please as we close? The first one is this. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were what? enemies there's that word we were enemies notice what happens we were reconciled to whom to god how by the death of his son did you hear that you are an enemy and god didn't love you christ didn't die for you when you stopped being his enemy he loved you and he died on the cross for you while you were his enemy. That's a different kind of love. That's the love of God. And that's God's love that can be poured into your heart today if you repent and believe. Today, listen, you, you, you can't clean up your life enough to come. You just can't. Listen to me. You'll never be good enough. You'll never stop love. You'll never be able to love people perfectly enough. You'll never be good enough. Listen, it's only knowing that God died for you and I while we were still His enemies in the midst of our sin. This is the good news of the gospel. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Some of you today, you think you'll love that spouse when they start helping around the house or when they start meeting your physical needs. Some of you think you'll obey your parents once they finally get you that phone. Others of you think you'll work hard for that boss once you finally get that raise you deserve. But praise be unto God that he doesn't treat us that way. Why? Because we would never, ever earn or deserve it. Believer, because God has loved you while you were still his enemy, I want to challenge you today. Love your enemy first. Because that's how Christ loves you. Number two. Again, like I told you, man, I'm bringing them out of the bullpen. I'm, I'm praying that God will speak these words to our hearts. It's back in Matthew 5. It's, it's verse 11 and 12. Again, I, I, want to, I want to compel you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I know it's hard, but I want to just encourage you with this as you leave. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you utter all kinds of evil, nasty garbage against you falsely. It's not even true. It's false. And he says, it's on my account. Notice what he says to them. 
rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is what? Great in heaven. I want to compel you by the words of Christ to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you, to forgive a spouse, to forgive a parent, to forgive a child, to forgive a boss, to forgive government officials, to forgive a a fellow church member, to forgive another believer, to forgive someone who has hurt you and done wrong to you or done wrong to somebody in your family. I want to compel you to forgive and to love them. Why? Rejoice, beloved, and be glad for your reward is great in the kingdom of heaven. Live with the end in mind. Don't live in just this world. Fix your eyes on the kingdom that is to come. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So today I want to maybe just for a moment ask us maybe just to close by saying, God, would you search my heart? Would you show me maybe some people that are my enemies? Maybe I don't recognize it in this moment, but the reality is they are. They're my enemies. And as the Spirit begins to reveal that to you, man, just pray, God, I want to love them and I want to be able to pray for them. I can't do that in my own strength. God, by the power of the Spirit, would you conform me to the image of Christ? I know, God, this is a hard, challenging statement for Jesus to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But again, Christ will not command what His Spirit will not empower you to do. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Oh, I pray today that this church would live and we would love this community and love our enemies and truly pray for those who persecute us. God, help us. Would you pray with me? Father, please help us. And when I say us, God, I know me, Lord, I struggle to love enemies. I struggle to truly pray for people who have have done me or others wrong. Father, I'm easily angered at times. God, I don't want to be that way. And so, Lord, I just pray if there's any others here who hear this text today so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. They would love like that. Lord, we need the power of your Spirit. God, we beg for more grace. God, I pray that you would empower husbands and wives to forgive each other. I pray you would restore broken relationships. I pray you would heal relationships between parents and children, between grown brothers and sisters, those siblings that are divided. God, I pray you would heal relationships in this church. God, I pray you would restore relationships with us and people in the community at large. Oh God, would you allow us to forgive as you have forgiven us. And Lord, you forgave us while we were still your enemies. By the grace of God, I pray now that we would go and do likewise. In the name of Christ, our King, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. 
please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.